Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. We are uh, in week uh, number three, but we are on uh, section or point number two of this journey we're doing called Virtue and Vice. And what we're looking at are the, the, the vices that every one of us in this room have, and also the fruit of the Spirit, which uh, enables us through the power of Christ um, to overcome those vices. So we're talking about each of the personality types. Um, according, we're using a personality tool called Enneagram. And as we described in previous weeks, um, the Enneagram is not the Bible. It is not uh, God's Word. It's not authoritative. But it really does uh, do a, a really good job at getting uh, pretty close for just about everybody I've ever met um, to say, you know what, yeah, I kind of fit there and these kind of are my habits. And essentially the idea is that when you were born, um, you came out uh, exactly like God desired you to, to be. And there's a certain part of you that is completely God, completely good. It's what he put in there. And then there is this thing called sin that starts to ruin it. And your sin and other sin starts to create in you habits and behaviors um, that are, are based on motivations that you've decided if I uh, act or behave in a certain way, that I'm going to end up having more peace in my life than if I acted or behaved in a different way. And so inside of even family units, we come up with different personalities. You can just look and say, wow, we were raised in the same house, but I'm nothing like you. Well, it's because in that family order or what was going on in that season of life or what was happening uh, in that particular household, other personalities might have been uh, sucked up and they said, man, how do I fit in? And so what we develop is a personality in our life that just says, this is the best way for me to operate. This is the modus operandi that gets me through. And when you talk to people's stories, you're going to find out nearly everyone has what's called a childhood wound. The idea that, that, that when you realize the world wasn't nice to you. And as a result, you had to decide something as a young person. How will I respond to the world? And so as we walk around, the ones, they decided, you know what? The world needs more rigid rules. And so I'm going to be the rule giver. And we talked last week about the, the, the personality of a, of a one type. They might look and say, you know what? Uh, everybody needs to, they need to be, be good all the time. And they have an inner critic that just drives them to be good. Well, today we move over and we're moving to also a different uh, triad in the Enneagram. There's three sections. Two, threes, and fours are in what's called the heart triad. And inside of that, that heart triad, uh, these are, are people that are more concerned than, than the eight, nine, and one. They're really more concerned with, with image and how you view them. But they respond to it in different ways. The two is we're going to talk about today is the helper. And they try to love you so that you'll love them. And at the end of the day, that's kind of their, their goal. Their goal is like, man, I'm going to pour out love, pour out love, pour out love. But there's going to be times if you're not pouring love back in, I'm going to get really upset. I'm going to get really hurt. I'm going to feel unknown, unwanted, unloved. The three, they try to, to pretend that their feelings don't matter. And they just try to drive by success. I want you to tell me that I'm doing a good job. Tell me that I'm efficient. Tell me that I'm dressed well. And that's kind of the three. The four is, is completely um, emotional based and, and they're very unique the four wants you to tell them that they are unique. You're special. There is no one like you in the world. You are unique, just like everyone else. But the four goes, you know what? I am special. And so they live their lives trying to say, like, nobody's felt this way. Nobody's seen it like this. Nobody draws just the way that I draw. And so the four says, look, tell me that I'm unique and special. The fours tend to be most of our, 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 our artist, artist types. So anyhow, so we're walking through, and we're also looking at the fruit of the Spirit. 
And so you're going to notice pretty quickly that the fruit of the Spirit actually gives something to everyone um, in terms of how to overcome their vice. Today we're talking about type 2. There's a couple of graphics. Uh, First one, primary focus of a type 2, other people's needs to get approval. Other people's needs to get approval. And so what the type 2 does is they try to meet other people's needs. And they are the ones, let me tell you something, out of all the personality types, the type 2s are the most loving you're ever going to meet. They're, they're some of the best people. They're going to look like Jesus just because they walk by. You're just going to be like, wow, that's what Jesus would have looked. He would have looked like a type 2. Because we picture Jesus like completely loving, right? Completely kind, completely caring for them. And we would say a type 2 embodies that really, really, really well. And so, so frankly, you need some type 2s in your life. We all need some type 2s. But the hidden struggle that you don't often see in a type 2 is an insatiable yearning for approval, appreciation, and acceptance. The, the effort to be a source of emotional stability in every relationship and the weariness from giving constant help and support. The feeling that others don't appreciate my efforts leading to rejection, disappointment, and resentment. So, so a type two starts out saying, I'm going to pour out love, I'm going to pour out love. And then what you'll find is that over time, if that love's not reciprocated, man, I'm, I'm feeling kind of unwanted. And they kind of, they have this inward battle, this emotional thing, like I'm isolated and I'm not loved. If I'm not giving to you, you really won't ever give to me. And so the type two can build up resentment and the type two can start to feel like quietly. Now they're loving, so they're not always going to pour out their resentment. But in type twos, when they get really, really discouraged or they've had enough, they actually run to type eight, which is much more of an assertive, aggressive posture. And you'll just wake up and be like, what? How'd that come out of your mouth? But it's because they kind of got to the end of their rope. But a type two is super incredibly loving. They're considered the, the considerate helper or the giver. The, the rest fruit, the fruit that they don't have to work out, the, 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 fruit of when, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that they don't have to work out hardly at all and they wonder why the rest of us do, is what? Love. Comes natural. Comes natural to a type two. But the vice is actually pride. The vice is actually pride. And you would say, man, that doesn't make any sense. I hope to help you. See it in a few minutes. And then the stretch fruit, the fruit that if they, man, if they would pursue this, this part of, of the fruit, the singular fruit of the Spirit, if they, would, if they would allow the Spirit to work in this area, it would really be beneficial for them, which is joy, which is being able to simply find joy in Christ, being able to find joy in the fact that they're loved, being able to find joy in the truth of the gospel, being able to find joy from those ways. Don't let, don't, don't let your emotions go up and down based on the behaviors of others, whether or not they reciprocate your love, but rather just say, man, I'm just, I'm joy in Christ. I, I found true joy in Christ. And now I serve out of an abundance of an overflow. I don't serve in order to receive. Strengths of the two, the personality type of the two, the strengths, helpers and caregivers, they're often altruistic, unselfish, gentle, compassionate. They're genuine and they're pleasing. They're nurturing, affirming, accepting, sacrificial, generous, relationally oriented. I mean, they care about you. Like, you feel great when you're in the presence of a two. And they're super supportive. They're, they make wonderful friends. They genuinely do. Twos are, are amazing at caring about your needs and looking for the places where you're down, trying to fill voids and holes and pockets in your life that might come up. And so these are all great things. Believe giving is the most beneficial way to live. They, they type two personality types are the types that really will uh, give you the shirt off their back. But more than that, they'll, they'll cut off their arm if, they means, if it means that you'll be healthy. They'll find a way to, to, to love you, um, whether you want it or not sometimes. Uh, type twos are, in, are incredible at uh, love. 
But because of that, they get tired. And so the weaknesses that come across on the two, they need to be needed and validated uh, more than, than other types. They expect reciprocity, meaning that when they're, 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 when they're doing charity, when they're caring about you, it may not always be altruistic. It may be they're, they're looking to say, man, if I, if I write this card, I'll get a card in the mail. And that's a fair expectation. But the problem is, is that when you build your, your uh, joy or your hope on, on the, the works of other people, you're going to set yourself up for, for letdown. And so that's what happens to a type two, unfortunately. Um, builds up resentment when that happens. Uh, they present a loving image, even if it's false. The, the, the one um, does reaction formation. The, the two essentially does relationship formation. Um, they, they come across loving. They can't really uh, help that, but sometimes they'll, they'll love even if um, they don't really want to or, or, or uh, believe they should. If, not, if they're not as self-aware about all this, they can push their love onto other people, which leads to a feeling of, of a type two being smothering. It could lead to codependency. Um, it can lead to anger if they're, uh, they become angry if they're underappreciated. And they repress their own needs without giving attention to their own self-care. Um, I may mention it later, but one of the things you could do for a type two in your life that you know and love is uh, find a way to, to be sure that they're caring for themselves. Ask them how they're, they're doing on um, their breaks and time away and are they feeding their soul. So many of the type twos in, in my life, they're so focused on giving and caring for others that their own soul can become depleted. And so one of the things I try to do is to step in and just say, you know, you need a break. You need to think about yourself. You need to spend this money on yourself. You don't need to keep giving the, the gift that was given to you away to somebody else. You need to care about you for a little bit. And so that's a great way you can, um, you can love on uh, a type two. The vice of the type two is pride. We often think of pride as being an outward display of arrogance or confidence. The twos demonstrate pride because they believe that they alone are able to help everyone. And they, they don't even look after their own needs. They kind of feel like I could operate by constantly giving, constantly giving, and I don't need to be filled. And that's really just a pride. That's a, a belief that the flesh can handle it. They believe they're good enough, strong enough, caring enough, and loving enough. The two, like, let's go of pride by remembering that Jesus is enough. And not only to meet their own needs, but to meet the needs of others. Galatians 5, and 23, the passage that anchors this whole series in, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, joy. The type two, you need joy. You just got to be anchored in Christ. Not on what you do for others, not on what they do for you, but find joy purely in Christ, in your position, and who you are. The stretch virtue of, of uh, the two is joy. Joy is found in Jesus alone. That song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Type twos are out there constantly looking for love by giving love away, by pouring themselves out, by caring about the needs of others, even to the detriment of themselves. And what they really need to know is that Jesus loves me. I don't have to love them so they'll love me and validate me. I don't have to pour out completely empty so that I can receive love. But Jesus loves me. And for, the, for many of us who aren't, in the type 2 mindset, we, we might not even understand that. We might be like, that's so obvious. But to a type 2, it's really not. They're spending all their energy, turning all their gears, trying to find that love in this world, which is a good thing to be loved, but it can be misplaced. And so one of the, the great things for a type 2 is to really focus that joy on it's not going to come from you or you or you or you. That joy is going to come from Christ. And so my sufficiency comes from Christ. My 
place in this world comes from Christ. My love that I'm ever about to receive, it's going to always come from Christ. And so a type 2 has to go to that, that well. The two seek invalidation through their love for others. The problem is they're seeking to love others in order to be loved. So the two, Jesus sees you. He knows you. He loves you. Thank you for loving his people, but you need to work on making sure your motive for loving is an overflow of his love for you and not a cry from feeling empty of love. Find your joy in Jesus and then use that gift in the most healthy of ways. The way I'm approaching this is teaching you guys the personalities and the fruit that matches up. And I'm calling it a, a sermon for. Last week it was a sermon for the one. And this week I want to take you to a passage that's familiar to you. And I want to give a, a short sermon on the two. I want to give a sermon to the two and say here's a gift for you. Dig into the scripture and you're going to find some goodness there for your soul. Now, also when we're doing this, I want you to understand something. We are not stagnant personality types. There's a type two in all of us. There's a time or a place or a space where all of us act in this way. Similar to the type one with the rules and rigid, many of us, we, we might not operate out of the one all the time, but if you want to get your way sometimes, you might all of a sudden try to use the rules to your advantage. And so all of us have the, these personality types. When you take one of the indicators, it brings it up and tells you to what level you rely on them. But it's really about motivations, about what drives your heart. And so all of us can relate to the idea of, of an unsacrificial love or an unaltruistic love, a loving for others to get something back. And so that's really what this message is. Luke chapter 10, if you would go in the scripture to Luke chapter 10. It's a story that you're familiar with, but I hope in light of this idea of pouring out to find a reciprocated love, It'll be something that you can say in the future, man, I, I shouldn't do that. Those of you that aren't yet in a relationship or you are pursuing one, you're going to find yourself doing this even if you aren't a type two. You're going to say, man, I, I can get love if I would just pour out love. And, and you're going to realize, wow, this message is good for me too. Like I, I might not quote unquote be a type two, but man, I could sure act like one sometimes. And so you and I, um, we could really learn and grow together as well. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says this. Now, as Mary, as they went their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed, her, uh, welcomed him into her house. This village, the, the many scholars believe, was uh, Bethany near Jerusalem. This area would have presented a challenge for Jesus as people weren't exactly thrilled about his ministry at this point. This area was not in a city center. It was in a rural poor area. Another thing it tells you about Christ is his message wasn't limited to the big city centers or to the wealthy people. But he, or, or even purposed to draw the most attention for every single thing he did. Much of his ministry was done similar to this in individual encounters that we just happen to, we, we happen by God's grace to have in the scriptures. To welcome Jesus meant to welcome a traveling group of disciples. It wasn't just like Jesus was walking by by himself. He had a, a whole group of people with him, the disciples with him. It was no small task to take on the host Jesus and his followers. So when Martha was doing this, she could look and see a group. She would have known about Christ. She would have seen all of the, of the disciples around. And, and so inviting him into the home was a, was a big deal. It was a big undertaking. And to even have your home identified with Christ, you didn't know if there were people out there that would say, hey, what a traitor. I can't believe you would even have him in your home and, and we're going to come and we're going to take care of you. And, but yet she did that. She welcomed him in. She took on the burden. She took on that responsibility, which is a great thing. It's a good thing, right? But as we talked last week, a lot of good things can become bad things when they're, when they're, when they're not God things. And so 
At this point in the story, Martha's doing a great thing. It's possible to be on the right mission with the wrong motives. It's possible to be on the right mission with the wrong motives. And so whether or not you're a type 2, you can pocket this away. You could say, yeah, wow, I've done that before. I've done the right thing. The right thing, yeah, hosting Christ, the right thing. Bringing him into the home, the right thing. Caring for his needs, caring for the needs of those traveling with him. All the right thing. Hospitality is a beautiful thing. Many of us, that's a lost art in our society. Amen? The idea of hosting and opening up. When we go to to Kenya or when I've been to Costa Rica or Dominican, when I go to these places and the idea of hosting, it's a huge honor to host. And so here here she is. She's opening up her home. And many people believe that she was um, a a widow at this point. And, And so here she has her sister there. But it's Martha... It's her home. It's Martha who does the inviting. It's, it's Martha who begins to do all the work. Martha, Martha, Martha. It was way too cheap, sorry. So it was the right mission. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens so, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and share with what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is a good thing. This is my commandment that you love one another. As I've loved you, greater love is no one than this than someone laid down his life for his friends. It was a good thing. It's a good thing, a good thing. She's doing a good thing. But you could be doing a good thing with a broken motive. And so when she called her sister Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She had a sister Mary called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was what? Distracted with much serving. I looked into that word, paras peao, distracted, to draw away or distract, to be overoccupied about a thing, to be cumbered. To be cumbered is to hamper or to hinder. She was hindered. She was hampered. She was tied down. She was, she was pulled away from one thing for the sake of another. The scripture says she was distracted with much serving. Man, if that's not a message for the, the type two, that man, you're, are, are you focused on the right thing? Yes, because the rest of us, we're so not interested in serving others. We so need to be told to look out for and love others that we might look at you, type two, and we might say, man, that person looks a lot like Jesus. And when you hear that, especially in the Christian context, you go, wow, I should do more and more of that. I should just keep doing that because they say I look like Jesus. Who doesn't want to look like Jesus in the church, right? Like this is the place you want to look like. And so you just might go, wow, what a good thing. And you know what the rest of us do, type twos? The rest of us will let you serve us. Because we're greedy and we're selfish. And if you want to run around and if you want to set everything up and if you want to organize the dates and if you want to worry about the plates and the dishes and sweeping, if you want to do all of that, guess what the rest of us will do? Nothing. <laughs> that's the point. And, and we'll, we'll just let you go. And so that's a fault of us. But here's what we'll do. We spiritualize stuff and we wrap it up and we go, wow, you remind me of Jesus. <laughs> Thanks for doing all the work, right? And, and so you and I, we've got to be careful. If, you're, if you have a type 2 tendency, you've got to be careful. You could be doing the right thing with the wrong motives. Doing good is not, doing, is not good if it causes you to miss God. Doing good is not good if it causes you to miss God. Quite literally, 
She was doing all of the good things. She was running around and taking care of needs and making sure, you know, the feet got washed and, and, and food was out and that the smells were good and, you know, put things away. And, and, and in the middle of all of that, here's Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God in her living room. She's missing out on the kingdom of God. Because she's busy serving. I, I wish there were more twos in the world. 80% of the work, statistically, they say, I don't know who they is, but it fits everywhere I've ever been. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. 20% of us are actually making everything happen and caring for the rest. And the rest of us, we need to understand something. That's a sin. That isn't right. It's not right if you and I know somebody else is going to haul the equipment. You and I know somebody else is going to be ushering. You and I know somebody else is going to be there to serve or to follow up. You and I know somebody else is going to clean up when it's all over. That's not right for us to sit back. But we've also had people that will come from time to time and just say, Pastor, I'm tired. And, and I don't turn on any guilt trip. I've learned over time, like, no, if I love people and they tell me that they're tired, take time. Because we can be doing the right thing, but we could be doing it for the wrong motive. That's a bad thing. But we could also be doing the right thing, and we could just have other people take advantage and wear us down. And so the rest of us, it's not a joke when I get up and I say, hey, you know what? We need some people to serve and nurse your kids. Hey, you know, we, we need some people to run some production equipment. We need some people to meet the trailer at 730. Like, this isn't a joke, church. It's the rest of us looking at the servants in the room and just go, hey, I'm more important than you. I've got a more important schedule. People depend on me more than they depend on you. And that's all garbage. It's complete trash. The couple that's been pulling our trailer for three plus more years lives an hour from here. And it's trash. That we, we're cool with just having a few people come in and set up at 7.30. That's trash. It's trash that the nursery workers are telling me that they're, over, they're overwhelmed and understaffed. That's trash. You know what that is? That's the rest of us saying, you keep doing it. I'll get the rewards. You keep doing it. It's not even in my notes. I just feel a pastoral moment. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for blessing us with that chiding. But... But it's so true. We just need to understand it and let be real and be family and just go, yeah, that ain't right. I agree with that. If I was on the other side, that wouldn't be right. So what can I do? And look, let me look at my mate. Let me look at my partner and say, what can I do differently? How can we restructure our week a little bit? How can, can I once a month do more so that the servants of the room don't get beat down by the church? That should be the last place you get beat down from getting taken advantage of. We get taken advantage of. The production team's clapping. We get taken advantage of everywhere else. We don't need to be taken advantage of here. We need to serve. Whoop. All right. We're talking about Martha. 
doing good is not good if it causes you to miss God. And she went, went to him, Martha, now she's had enough. She went up to Jesus. Look at what she says to Jesus. This, this, I also find this kind of funny. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? <laughs> do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Don't you love that vibe? Like, like you've got to be really brave to start your sentence with Lord and then follow it up with a command. But you can just imagine it was overwhelming and she's running and she's busy and she's tired and she's like, I've had enough. And so she speaks up and she goes, Lord, do something about this. Look at my sister. Now, let me ask, is it the sister's home? No. Did the sister invite this big group in? No. The sister comes in, it's like, oh, that's sweet. My sister invited Jesus here. <laughs> Bloop, I'm going to sit down and learn. And so the sister wasn't necessarily wrong. It was just, wow, cool. But you could tell she's worked up. A tip for the two, it's important that you check to see if your serving is sincere. Try to only serve when you're comfortable that if nobody joins your cause, if no one gives anything back, if no one appreciates you, you're going to be okay. And if you will check those boxes off before you dive in to serve, if you're a two, you're going to find much more joy on the other side. You're going to be able to rest in the joy of Jesus because now you say, okay, I've checked, checked, checked. I'm not trying to get anything back. I'm not trying to have these people respond a certain way. I'm not trying to give to get because that's manipulation. So two, let's not do that. Let's say, hey, is this a healthy thing for me to take on? Should I be doing this right now? Or do I have something that, that, that I want out of it? And so at two, you'll find, slow, slow down a little bit. There's plenty of people to help. There's always going to be a problem. As a friend of the two, you can check in often. Because they're often not going to care about themselves as well as you would. So check in and just say, hey, how you doing? Are you okay? What do you need? What are your current needs? What are you feeling overwhelmed about? What are you stressed about? But anyhow, so she's overwhelmed and she's stressed and she goes to the Lord. With broken motives, blessing becomes a burden and bitterness leads to blaming. With broken motives, blessing, blessing others becomes a burden to yourself. And bitterness leads to blaming. You see, if she was, had pure motives in all of it, she'd have been like, Jesus, come on in. And she'd hear Jesus teaching and she's like, wow. Jesus, how often, how amazing is this? Instagram, like, Jesus is in my house. Check it out, y'all. Like, she would have been more joyful about the moment. But she missed the moment because she was so worried about doing and serving. And when, you're, when your motives for the moments are off, you're going to get bitter. And now all of a sudden, the thing that you meant to do as a blessing to others is a burden to yourself. And if it's a burden to yourself too long, it turns into bitterness. And then bitterness, when it sits there too long, turns into blaming. Because why? I don't want to blame anybody for my situation. I don't want to blame anybody that I'm bitter. I don't want to admit that I took all this on myself and I shouldn't have. No, no, no. Why didn't she join in? Well, it wasn't her party. You decided to bring all these fools through your house. Besides Jesus. <laughs> Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, wouldn't you think that like you, you, you and I, if we didn't know any of the story, we'd have just been like, yeah, like, yeah, Jesus would tell other people to help. Jesus would say, hey, Mary, get your tail up. Je yeah, he 
correct those people, wouldn't he? I mean, he's on my side. I'm the servant here. I love when people have caricatures of Jesus that the scripture demolishes and we just go, wow, he wouldn't have done it that way. But no, he didn't stand up for the one that was serving. He, he said this, he said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. We can often miss God's best blessings when we create our own extra burdens. We can miss out on God's best blessing when we create the extra burden. The repetition here, Jesus only, there's only three times when Jesus did this, used this tool. Martha. Martha. And you can almost sense it, like in the moment of, I gotta get this too much. Come on, why aren't you help? And you can feel. You ever had that tension before people come over to your house? College students have no idea what I'm talking about. They're like, no, man. Spoiled milk on the table, whatever. So, but you can feel in that moment, and he says, Martha, Martha, you're stressed, you're troubled, you're anxious. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. He's reminding her, Mary has chosen the good portion. It should not be taken away from her. He did this also with Simon in Luke 22. And in Saul's conversion, Saul, Saul in Acts 9. You're anxious and troubled. Let me ask you something. Does Christ want you to be anxious? You can, this is participatory. Does Christ want you to be anxious? No. Does he want you to walk around feeling troubled? So this is what happens when we add burden on to being a good person or when we add burden on to being a Christian. That wasn't a requirement. But we tend to do it. We tend to feel something inside that says, I, I need to behave this way. I need to do this. And he's like, to the two and to all of us who can feel burdened at times, a reminder of Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke is what they would use to train oxen. And so a larger ox would go through and plow a field and the, the smaller, the new one, the one that's learning the ways, if, if the large ox were to make a left, the rope would tighten up and so the, the young ox would come with. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, the burdens I place on you are light. Just walk with me. And if you're walking with me every day, you're not going to feel like you're being dragged around this world. But you've got to be close to me. Not close to serving, not close to doing, not close to trying to make people love you. You've got to make sure every day when you wake up, I am close to Jesus. Because if I'm close to Jesus, when you stay close to that larger ox, then you don't feel the yank. You don't feel pulled. You just say, oh, he's going left, I'm going to go left. Oh, he's going right, I'm going to go right. And so the closer that you and I are to Jesus every day, all of these things go away. And the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God gives you 
When God gives you His Spirit, He's giving you His love. He's giving you His joy. He's giving you His peace, patience, kindness. And so for you and I, what's the main lesson? No matter what our number is or our personality is, stay close to Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Walk in the Spirit. Wake up each day and say, Lord, I, I, I want to remain close to you. When people see me, I want them to see you. I don't want to try to love people so they'll love me back. I don't want to make up rules and rigidity because I'm, I'm nervous or scared and people have to stay in line. I don't want to break braggadocious three and show off so people like my appearance. I don't have to be a hyper-emotional four. I don't have to be a, a super intellectual five. I, I don't have to be, a, be a, a fearful six. I don't have to be a flaky seven that always has to create a new thing. I don't have to be an aggressive, angry eight. And I don't have to be a disengaged nine. What I do have to be is a child of Jesus. Walking with Him every single day. And if I do that, I'm going to have the life that I'm meant to lead. I'll have the fruit of the Spirit of God. Let's pray.